What's up, y'all? This is Chloe Pavlik, and I'm talent at Overtime and the head of the women's side. And I'm Brandon Rose, and I run strategic partnerships at Overtime. And you're tuned into The Work. The Work is a video podcast that covers the intersection of sports and athlete activism. We'll be bringing on athletes and experts to talk about how they're trying to make the world a better place. And our goal is to inspire the next generation of athlete activists. And when I think about it, there's no better person to kick off the show than with Scotty Lewis. Scotty's a sophomore basketball star at the University of Florida. He's been doing the work for a very long time. He started his nonprofit, Peace By You, in high school. But before we get into the interview, B, I just want you to tell them a little bit about who you are and then we can get into why we wanted to do this podcast. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, when I was young, I, I found it really interesting that my mom went out of her way to put me into a school that was very diverse because I came from the inner city in Grand Rapids. You know, we're both Midwest kids and you have a lot of dynamics in the Midwest, right? Like I, I was bused to a school whose mascot was literally called the Rainbows. And we had white kids, we had black kids, we had Vietnamese, we had actually refugees from Bosnia, which was crazy. And we didn't really get it at the time. But for me, that was kind of when I realized that, look, I was different. And in that environment, it was kind of a cool thing to be black. And then I had my church, which was the oldest black church in Grand Rapids. So I kind of have a good experience growing up. But at the same time, you know, my neighborhood, I was seeing different things, right? Like I saw across the street when I was a little kid, a SWAT team pull up and raid a house. And that's kind of the effects of the war on drugs, right? And, it, and that affected my immediate family. But when I really realized what it meant to be black, a black man in America is when we moved, right? My mom saved up her life savings and, and brought us to the suburbs basically to have a better opportunity and a better education. And I, I was like into Allen Iverson back in the day, right? Oh. So I had the braids, I had the baggy clothes, I had it all. And when I got there, my parents literally made me cut my hair off, right? And that was the first experience. And at the time I didn't get it. But then later on in life, you know, after the Trayvon Martins and things that have happened, you just realize, well, wow, they were actually scared. You know what I mean? So I know you had a similar experience you know, being a, a mixed woman growing up in the Midwest, why don't you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, it it hits for me when you talk about moving to the suburbs and braids and how you wear your hair. You know, for me, when I grew up in the city of Cincinnati um, and the first school I went to it was super diverse, right? Um, and that diversity was more so celebrated more than anything. And I remember my mom, in order to get into the school, there was a waiting list. So I mixed with black and white. So the list for white kids, the waiting list was shorter and the waiting list for black kids was longer. So she put me under white. And mm. I say that story because it's this dynamic that I never really understood when I was younger, but now that I'm older, I get it. And I think about different applications that you have to fill out. And growing up, it was like either black and white. There was no other box and it would right, be like, right. choose one. So for me, I felt like kind of my form of resistance was checking both boxes. You know, I was like, well, mm. I'm not, I'm not just one. Um, I'm both of these things. And you know, now when people ask me how I identify, you know, I say I'm a black woman. And um, you talked about moving to the suburbs. It's, it's like culture shock because 
the only thing that was really celebrated was the fact that I was an athlete. Like that, that's what made me cool. Not black, being black wasn't cool in the suburbs. You know, the way people talk about black people, uh, around or how they talked about black people around me. And I'm sure B, you probably had something similar like this is they'd be like, oh, but not you, you don't count. When they're talking badly about your people in front of you. Um, and when you're young, right. You know, I don't know how many young people actually spoke up and said, no, that's wrong, or kind of stayed silent. Um, but when you're, you know, 12, 13 years old, you don't really understand those kind of effects. And the thing that sticks out to me the most is when I was dating this kid, he was white, and there are only a couple other black guys in my grade. And I was like, I didn't want to date the black guy just because I was black. Like, I felt like that had to happen. Like the black people had to date. And mind you, this is in the 2000s. Um, right. So I was dating, I was dating this white guy and I'll never forget when we got into a fight, he, he goes, well, at least my mom didn't marry a black man. Damn, and I was crazy. like, huh? You know, and all the kids around were kind of laughing at that. And I'm thinking in my head, like you're, you're dating me and I'm black and it, and it never clicked, but we all have those experiences when we're young, when we realize that we're black. And, and those are experiences that we carry throughout the rest of our lives, you know, and it still even happens in the workforce. But when you're younger, it, it's just more evident. Yeah, exactly. You're developing your whole identity. And I had a lot of scenarios that were very similar to that, right? Whether it was being called the N-word, whether it was, you know, people coming at me in different ways. And you didn't have the tools back then as a kid or even, you know, playing sports and, you know, you're called, you're called, you're more athletic instead of being smart. You know what I mean? All of those things. So that's part of what inspired me to want to do this podcast, right? Is to be able to tell these stories and to really showcase what these young people are doing. Because Scotty's someone who's inspired me as a young person who's been able to speak up and create his own organization. So I, I think for me, my, one of my goals overall is just to create a world and an environment that's more equitable. I want kids who grew up in the environments that I grew up in, or, you know, I was one of the lucky ones. So I want even the ones who are unlucky to have an equal opportunity to succeed in whatever avenue they want to get into, whether that's arts, engineering, STEM, sports. And I, this is one of my missions for this podcast. I love that. And I, we're very similar. And, and I think kind of where my mission stems from is really just amplifying black voices. And you talked about someone like Scotty Lewis and these young people who are out here doing the work every single day and are just light years ahead of where I was when I was, you know, between that like 13 to 18 year old range. And, you know, we talk about these kids are in the street, they're organizing, they're mobilizing and for us, I think it's just extremely important for us to not only highlight what they're doing, but to show that it doesn't matter how old you are. You can find your role in this revolution. You can find your role as an activist and people will follow you. So without further ado, Scotty, we got you on here, man. Thanks for coming on today. Thank you guys, for sure. Yeah, man, we're excited to have you. I, I was telling everybody that, you know, you were part of the reason that expired this podcast with all the work that you've been doing. So, yeah, we, we wanted to kick off with the first question. We're going to ask this to, to every guest. 
uh when was the first time you realized you were black <laughs> uh, <laughs> i don't know um wow hmm. that's a good one right it's a great one probably when i saw my first white person to be honest like i grew up in new york so it was like all my family and it was just us i had uh my 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 aunties up like on, on on the top of our building, and I had my aunties on the bottom, and we lived in the middle section of our house. So I, all I knew was Spanish and black people. First white person I saw was when I like first got to school, and my teacher kept calling me George, and like no one had ever called me George before. So I was like, who the hell is she talking to? Like, <laughs> it's not me. <laughs> like, but um, but yeah, that's probably when I realized I was different. Yeah. Uh, don't worry, Scotty. For me, it was when um, I went to my white family reunion and I realized I was the only one that had like an ounce, an ounce of color. Yeah. So, so I think we all get it. And it's and I love that that's kind of our iconic question of the show because we all have that moment where we either realize we were black or, you know, for white people when they realized they were white. But I just want you to talk a little bit about what it was like for you growing up in New York. Mm um it was it was really really rough honestly um <laughs> like me, my family and i for a long time from what i remember we lived in a lot of shelters in new york i had plenty of christmases where uh, i don't know if you guys ever been in a ho homeless shelter but when you're in a homeless shelter and like you're a kid and it's around like christmas time you go into like the basement of the homeless shelter and there's you got white santa claus and he's passing out all these gifts and like for like three years in a row I got like the same Clifford book every single time, like back to back to back. Um, and I remember just like having to beg and having to ask for stuff. And like I, our family wasn't really helping us at the time. There was just a lot of family arguments going on. And um, they kind of let my mom just take care of five kids on her own. So I had two older siblings, two younger siblings. We all just stuck together. And now we kind of got this pack on five forever. I got a tattoo on my shoulder and we're just super, super close. and our challenges and struggles that we went through um, made us closer and stronger together now. And um, I think without those experiences that I had when I was younger, I definitely wouldn't be the person I am now. And obviously without my mother uh, putting up with us and everything that we did growing up. Because I was a bad kid growing up. Yeah. <laughs> I was a, like, before basketball, I was a bad kid. Like, all of us, honestly. Jordan was like, Jordan's one of my older brothers, probably my best friend. He got anger issues. Jalen, he's younger than me, like two two years younger than I am. He just, he was just wild. He was worse than me. Tazea is probably the most normal person in our entire family. He's like my youngest brother on my mom's side. Um, but yeah, my mom definitely had her hands full. So she, then she got some help from my grandma, so that obviously helped. And um, my grandma definitely shaped um, a huge part of who I am today. Um, but just like everyone else in my position, uh, a lot of struggles, a lot of challenges that we had to overcome. And um, we just did it. And it was so normal to us once we got out of a situation like that. Um, everything was just super, super new. Yeah, we were talking before about that culture shock. You know what I mean? Because it's funny enough, we have a similar story because I have five kids as well. And we were all really tight. And I, I, was, I was one of the lucky ones. I had never had to go to a homeless shelter. But I did have to live in my grandmother's basement with, mm -hmm. with all my siblings and everything else. And my mom was instrumental in that for me. Um, but I'm curious for you, because of everything that you have done, has 
Was it your childhood that had an impact on this? Or like what inspired you to become an activist? Uh, I think everything intertwined. I feel like the fact that I come from a place of hardship and I know what it's like to feel less of a person at a very young age. You know, you go through phases of depression and you go through phases of feeling like you're not like everyone else. Uh, not even because you're black in America, but because, you know, people are looking down on you, having to give you stuff or saying certain things as if like it's your fault that you're in that position. Um, and, and having to look up at someone who's struggling every single day. Like to this day, my mom is working paycheck to paycheck and she's having to grind out, you know, three or four jobs all the time, try to get us through or get them through now because I'm in college. Um, me having to send money home, things like that, you know, it's still a struggle. And um, I know the difference between a lot of things. And I've seen, I've been fortunate enough to see both spectrums to where I've, I've been at the lowest point, then be, then in a high school and go to the Randy school and be surrounded by so much wealth and so much equity and, and having to go to my friend's house. And when my best friend has like one of the top five largest homes in New Jersey, you know what I mean? Like I was right. the poorest kid in my school, in my high school. You know, I, I've been to 10 plus schools before I entered high school. I've met a, a variety of people. I've talked to a variety of people. And I, I understand you, the uniqueness of people and differences and how it makes them who they are. And I feel like the situation that we're going through now, so many people are shunning the rest of the world because they don't want to understand the differences in other people and, and what makes them unique and what makes them human, you know? So I don't know. I feel like, and my, my grandmother, my great grandmother, uh, my great grandfather, they all were so um, activism like pro. And I feel like growing up with my, I lived with my grandmother the last four or five years and just talking to her, she was one of the first graduates in my family. And uh, it took her a really long time because she had kids at a really young age. So she, it took her almost five plus years to graduate from college, um, you know, with, with, the, with the lowest degree, you know what I mean? So, but she's, she's done a phenomenal job with her life and she's someone that I try to picture myself to be along with her parents, so. Yeah, I think it's interesting that you talk about that that gap, Scotty, because I think for a lot of us, at least where I grew up, like, you know, if you're black and you had a college degree, uh, you're a unicorn. Uh, most of the people who I grew up around with, it was pretty common for you just to kind of finish high school and then go out into the workforce or end up in jail. Um, so when you talk a lot about your, your grandma and your mom, who was that role model for you that you wanted to be like while you were growing up? Um, I think no one. I think what made, my, what made my situation so special was that I didn't have people in my life that wanted me to like follow in their footsteps. They always wanted me to be better than they were. You know, even when I met my dad, when I was 13, 14 years old, he, he instilled in me that he wanted me to be better than him. My mom wanted me to be better than her, my grandma, so forth and so forth. You know what I mean? So I always strive to be the best person that I can be. Whoever that turned out to be, that's who I was. And that's just how I am now. Um, obviously, I've had some people in my life who've taught me certain things and certain mentors who are still in my life today who kind of sh shifted the way that I act, speak, things like that. But I try to take bits and pieces from those people and. Um, be the best Scotty that I can possibly be every day. Yeah, I love that. You know, that mentorship's important. And 
it's cool that you know you're able to kind of take a little bits and pieces from everybody but how do you deal with that pressure because i know you know myself coming out of the situation that i was in you kind of feel pressure to carry like your family and your generation and, and kind of be perfect almost like do you feel that is that pressure to you i mean for a long time i did um but then i hit a point in my life probably my sophomore year of high school um i realized that i was trying to go too fast you know i, I knew that the goal that I wanted to set for myself, I was too focused on that goal and I forgot about the system and the process it took to get to that goal. And people tend to skip steps all the time and worry about what their final step is. Then it's like, when you get to that final step, there's more to do. And people really don't realize that, you know, it, it being a marathon is like a true thing. And if you invest time in your system and you invest time in your process, the goal would just happen. So you don't need to worry about the goal that much. And I learned that around my sophomore year of high school. And once I took a step back and just started breathing and not worrying about like what my, what my brother's gonna eat, making sure they're eating that night, um, or making sure that my mom gets a huge house or things like that. I just knew those things were gonna come because I'm working my ass off to make sure those things happen. So I just um, took so much pressure off my shoulders, just knowing that things are gonna be there and um, I'm not running out of time. You know, I'm only get, getting better and I'm only getting smarter and I'm only growing and getting faster, getting stronger and only gaining more knowledge about what I want to know. So I just took, I'm just taking things day by day and trying to get 1% better every day, which really helps me just take the world off my shoulders, which I had for a long time. Once I realized, you know, I would be the quote unquote breadwinner of my family, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think that pressure is huge. And I think obviously a lot of athletes, can relate to that because a lot of us do do it for, for our families. And even we talk about first generation students and people who go to college for the first time for their families, like that type of pressure. And you talked a lot about investing in your system. And I know you created Peace by You. How did that come about? Uh, I mean, like I said, I was homeless before. Um, I've been in, a, a lot of states I've been to a lot of schools and ended up in a similar situation like my family and I was always running from something and uh, then when I moved to Jersey finally I felt like I had a strong foundation of mentors and family and um, a school that supported me 100% and Randy and uh, they really guided me in the right direction and um, I placed myself and my family placed ourselves in a better position in order to be able to give back. You know, I, I, I built a platform for myself throughout high school because my biggest mentor, Brian Klatsky, um, he always taught me about my brand. He always talked about how uh, what you say, how you act, how you do certain things is going to determine so many things throughout your life. And um, if you keep smiling, you know, have a good personality, things like that, a lot of things are going to come to you. So I'm like, if I'm building this brand up, um, I know there's a lot of people coming from where I'm coming from who think that they can't be in my position or that there's no way out. And their only option is to go, you know, left instead of right. You know what I mean? And, um, I, and I lost a lot of friends growing up. Um, and a lot of us do. And that's just the way it goes. But I didn't want to be another statistic. So what, what, what was I going to do to separate myself from everyone else? Um, and I was just to give back and start as early as possible. So with the help of my grandmother, my mentors, my mom, uh, we started the Who's for the Homeless event. Um, which happened, we were in Georgia and there was a homeless family outside of Chipotle. My team, my team took us to. And um, another coach who walked in as we were walking out and it was a mother, a father, three kids. 
and the father's basically begging in front of his wife and his kids, like, can you give us some food? Da, 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 da. And the coach just like spazzes out. He's saying like, it's your fault. Like, like I got all these kids to take care of. I'm not going to take care of you type thing. So I went back in, got like leftover food from my teammates and I bought some more stuff with like the 40 lives I had in my pocket and I made sure I give it to them. I gave it to them. And on the, on the van ride back to the hotel, I'm just like remembering so much of my life. Like, I'm just I'm like, something like needs to be done. Cause I know back home in New York, poverty is such a huge issue issue and places like Gainesville, poverty is such a huge issue in like San Francisco and other places all around the world. Poverty is such a big thing. Like you have these billion dollar industries, billion dollar people, but you have people who live off a dollar a day. I feel like that shouldn't be something that is, I'm not saying they didn't work for that, but there's, there's, there's a lot of take instead of give in the society that we live in. And I'd rather be a giver than a taker, honestly. So I tried to start something and build something to where I can constantly give back. And we probably donated over $20,000 to Lunch Break Foundation who feeds homeless people in the Red Bank area in New Jersey uh, for the last two or three years. Then I just added my best friends who I thought were like-minded and had different personal specialties. And um, we created Peace By You. That's incredible, man. Uh, I'm proud of you, man. I'm proud of everything that you've been doing because a lot of people can see an issue, but not a lot of people are willing to take the step to actually do something and, and create something and, and kind of do the work every day that it takes to build it up. So I'm curious because I know you, you've been really focused on poverty and I know in kind of the wake of you know the George Floyd murder and kind of the Black Lives Matter movement, you've also been attacking those issues. So I, I'm just curious how you have educated yourself because just reading about you and hearing you talk, you're so educated on the issues. Like, how do you go about that? Um, <laughs> I, one of my other mentors who, was, who will remain nameless, um, for, for reasons, we'll just say that for reasons. Um, I told him I was going to, I was going to take on a lot of tasks this summer, a lot of tasks during my, um, my school year. And he said, before you put yourself out there on this big stage, you have to know what you're talking about. Uh, you have to know and expect every single question that you could possibly get. And you have to educate yourself about everything. And he was like, if this is something that you're really gonna do and you're gonna be head on with it, you have to know about everything. So I just started um, following people on social media, reaching out. Um, I started going to the library and reading certain books about my history and about my culture and things that I wouldn't learn normally in school and I haven't learned. Um, talking to certain people that have been at University of Florida who now left, um, talking to Clint Smith, who's a poet, um, an African-American late great guy uh, talking to some some of my teachers back in high school, um, my African American lit teacher, um, my mentor in high school, things like that. Just just constantly listening to people. You know, I was quiet for a really really long time, just like fueling myself and building, and building and building as much knowledge as I possibly could. And once I realized, like, I knew my main focal points and what I wanted to attack, and I had enough knowledge to focus on those things, I just got as loud as possible, and I just. Now, I just won't shut up about it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because I, I just have so much to say and there's so much that needs to be said and there's so many people that need to be heard but don't have the voice to do it. So you have people who act off pure passion, but then you have those people who act off pure passion and are educated about the situation. So if you can mix those two, that's a that's a battle that I want to go to war with. You know what I mean? So um, talking to people who've been in my position, who are currently in my position, 
and trying to educate myself while educating others others i think is yeah, i think is awesome i'm having a lot of fun with it you know learning and being able to teach and being able to mentor and having people look up to me um for the right reasons you know um i i, I love it so i'm just trying to get better and just learn more honestly no, I think that's that's so important because I do think a lot of athletes and people in our community, they want to speak out, but don't necessarily know what to say. Um, and then on top of that, don't want to say the wrong things. Because I know me, whenever I put anything out there, I like check a million times. I want to make sure I get every single fact right because the last thing you want to do is, is get something wrong. But Scotty, I think one of the things that I loved that you did is you organized a protest. And that's something that a lot of people don't know how to do that. And I think my biggest thing for you, you know, I've been starting to learn more and more on how you do mobilize people, but how, how did you learn how to do that? And what steps did you take in order to put on a protest? Honestly, we didn't know shit. We didn't know <laughs> anything. We didn't know anything at all. My, um, uh, so basically I'm in the process of like building a relationship with my dad right now and my myself my, my brother Jordan lives with my dad in Georgia uh, my best friend Luke my best friend Eddie my best friend Tyler uh, we we flied we drove down 14 hours to go to Georgia to go see my dad and stay with him for probably the four days something like that and we go to the mall and they're like the mall shut down we got cops redirecting us and we're like yo like what is going on right now and we see my brother, my older brother, Jordan, and my, um, my, my sister's boyfriend, like leading a bunch of people in a protest. And we're like, so y'all left for a protest and didn't tell us that there was a protest going on. So we drive home really quick and we take like a mile walk back to the mall um, to go and join them. And by that time, everyone was just in this one place, out, out in front of like some place, we're out there, we're just going crazy. We're like blocking the streets. We're like locking arms. You got a line of police officers with like their shields standing there. Then the officers basically like push up on us and make us like move back in line. And um, we we just got really into it. We're way more into it than we expected to get into it. And on the way back, we're headed back to walking. And this officer, we have these group of officers with like AK-47s just out there just like strapped. And I'm yelling, I'm like, like, what are you guys scared of? Like, if you're scared and you have a trigger finger, you shouldn't be having a gun in your hand. And the officer yells back to me. He's like, I don't want to hear it. You feel me? He's like, I don't want to hear it. And he like puts his gun on his shoulder like this. And after that, like I called my girlfriend back home and I'm like, yo, we're, we're starting to, we're, get, we're getting a protest together called Asbury Park. Um, I know they just have one, but we're definitely having another one as soon as I get back home. And my, my friend Eddie is from Asbury, but I'm not from Asbury. So I had people calling me like, what makes you think you can run a protest in our city, da, 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 this is that and the third. They're like, you come from a silver spoon, like what you know about this and that. And I, there's a lot, I had to have, probably for 14 hours straight back to Jersey, I had like 14 different hour phone calls with like the mayor, the governor, the chief of police, the director of this, and di different citizens of like Black Lives Matter in Asbury. And they're basically trying to like qualify check me to see if like I was the right person to, to hold the protest, you know, because the history of Asbury, they had a protest years ago, years ago, and they basically trashed Asbury. 
there was a lot of violence and everything. So I get it. I understand, especially me not being from there. Um, but it ended up happening. And we had us right from as soon as we entered Jersey, we drove right to Asbury, met with the, um, the mayor um, and we met with the chief of police and uh, Reverend. And we met with a couple other people and just said we just want this thing to be extremely peaceful as possible. And the mayor actually happened to be like a big fan of mine. So he was like all for it. You know what I mean? He's like, as long as nothing crazy happens, um, I'm like, I'm willing to compromise. What time do you want us to start? So we started at that time. It went about three hours. We're out there in the rain yelling. We had some uh, Elijah Barnes from Princeton come and speak. We had some of the Rutgers players come. Uh, Tyler Hawkins gave an emotional speech, one of my best friends. And everyone's just, my uncle Deo from New York who runs protests there, we're all just going at it. And it was just a, an extremely emotional and like successful protest. And it kind of just happened, you know, so. It just sparked out a passion. We had no idea how to do it, but I would definitely say get a permit because people don't like you going to their city without a permit. Uh, they get pretty agitated about that. Talk to somebody before you just decide to put out a flyer. Um, but yeah, we had to go through a couple challenges on the way back home, but we got it done and it turned out to be successful. In the end, like kind of the, the flashback of that, everyone loved it and it was, it went a long way and we're still doing stuff and helping out Asbury Park Police. And um, we're doing a bunch right now. Yeah, man, that's that's an inspiring story, right? Like it's, I, I hope that someone out there is listening to this and is gonna be able to take the initiative to do the same thing. Because again, you're actually taking the steps. Even if you don't know something, you're figuring it out. Um, obviously you're very brave, right? Like, let's just be real. Like you're sitting in front of the police, you know, you're, you're leading a protest. And we've seen what could happen, and, and, and you're brave for that. So I'm just wondering, you know, has, has that thought ever crossed your mind? Like that, hey, this could have an impact on my career. You know, I'm trying to you know, play basketball. I'm trying to succeed. Uh, has that thought ever crossed your mind? Or how do you deal with that factor? Of like, you know, I want to do this. This is right. But I also want to go forward and, and do my thing and, and make it where I want to go. Um, I don't think it's ever, I think it's crossed my people's mind more than this crossed my mind. Because when I go into certain situations and certain settings, I'm like, like I will die fighting for what I believe in. The, this is bigger than like basketball. This is bigger than something that I say or, or that I do. Like I'm like literally willing to put my life on the line in order to get a point across if that's what needs to happen. So I'm going in like just fearless. Like, so what? Other people, better people than me have died fighting the same fight. You know what I mean? And, and, and if I'm gonna die, like, all right, at least at least I stood up for what I believed in and what my family believes in. I'm standing up for people that are gonna come after me and fight the same fight. You know, people are gonna go. That's just what it's gonna be. Um, and I'm prepared for that. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I have no, I have no worries. I have no, yeah, that doesn't even have a factor. When people say like, Scotty, like, are you sure you want to do this? Like this could happen. I'm just like, so what? Like, so what? Like literally, so what? Just go do it. Like if you have your, your mindset on something and you think it's really gonna, gonna enrich something and it's gonna propel something that is beneficial to not only you, but to a whole world of people, you know, then go do it. Like, I don't care. Like basketball, like when I'm in that different setting, like basketball goes out the window. Other people want to place, I don't create the titles of articles or the titles of 
interviews or the titles of whatever the news reporters want to put out, they'll put five star that, you know, I, would, I, I don't, so what? Like we're, we're not here to talk about basketball. This has nothing to do with that at all. The people are dying every single day. And if I have to be one of those people to get the point across, then so be it. Like, I don't care. I don't care. That's just what it is. That's, that's just my mindset yeah. towards everything that goes into what I do non-basketball related. Like, my family is going to be good. My mom tells me that all the time. Like, like focus on you. Like, like we're going to be good. So she gives me confidence to go out there and do what I do and empower other people to go do what they do best. So I'm, I'm just I'm just in a, a mindset to where whatever happens, happens. Go out there and react positively, but react passionately. You know, those are things that you can do. There's a lot of things that you can do. And if you're not someone who wants to go out there and march, there's a bunch of other things that you can do. But yeah, I don't really care. Other people care. My friends care. My girlfriend cares a lot. <laughs> my, my mom, my grandmother, you know, but I'm out there and I'm out there, you know, this, you can't half ass this kind of, this kind of fight. You can't do it because you think it's going to make you look good. Um, but you're still trying to protect yourself or you have this ego or you have this name or, or your brand or whatever the case may be. Like you're out there to fight a fight that matters. Everything else goes out the window. You know, you're not technically there to be wholesome and nice. You're there to empower other people and educate other people that look like you and don't look like you. And that's a hard task. And you can't have the easy conversation with a hard task. So, so what? That's so real, Scotty. Mm. And I love that you said too, that it's, you know, it's not just marching, right? Everyone has a role in the revolution and it's just, you gotta find yours and what it is. And when you are out there, it's dangerous. And you, it does, it, something comes over you where you're like, this is what I'm willing to die for because this is what I want for my people. This is what we deserve, basic human rights. So with that being said, Scotty, I wanna thank you for joining Brandon and I on the work. And is there anything else that you wanna tell the people that you wanna promote? Um, like we said, we know you have peace by you. Let's go vote. That's the one power we have as a democracy. So we gotta go vote. That's just, like I said, I, probably, I think I told you this before. I think it was 5% of the NBA voted when Donald Trump got elected. That's what, so let's, uh, <laughs> let's not have, have that happen again. We don't need the orange guy in office anymore. So um, yeah, go vote, take advantage of your opportunities and uh, go learn something new for sure. Where, where can we follow you at? Um, peace by you. So it's peace, uh, B-Y-U, just the letter, not the Y-O-U, just peace by you on all platforms. You can follow if you want to, you don't need to, but stay intact. I just want to say thank you again to Scotty Lewis. That young man is so impressive. He's doing incredible work. And thank you all for tuning into the debut episode of The Work. We really believe in what we're doing here. So we hope you all join us on the journey. And this week's work for you guys is registering to vote. B and I timed it. It literally takes 30 seconds to check your registration status, and it takes two minutes to register to vote. It's different in every state. So I know Ohio's deadline in person and online is October 5th. So please check. We need everybody to come out, show up in November.